sending and ascending. Now, typically, when we think of a Great Commission passage, we think of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. But we're going to be looking at today the, the situation and context around Luke's Great Commission um, that he records in these verses. And so, it was just a couple weeks ago we left off, and you'll remember it was, it was Uncle Cleopas and Aunt Mary. They were heading to Emmaus. And Jesus came jogging up and, and journeyed with them, the risen Savior. And they got to their house, and they were getting ready to have dinner. And when he broke the bread, remember, all of a sudden their eyes were opened. And they saw him. It was Christ. He's alive. And then Jesus just disappeared. And so this is where we left off. Uh, Cleopas and his wife Mary uh, made the journey in the middle of the night back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples what had taken place. And they go into the door, they knock, they go in, and in, instead of them getting the words out that they traveled all those miles to tell them, they're confronted with, the Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And so this is news to them. They hear about another appearance of the resurrected Christ, the risen Christ And then as they hear about this, then they begin to share what they experienced of Christ who has risen from the the grave and uh, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so a special special moment there that's taking place, every detail counts. You can just imagine this this interaction, the, the people there, they know one, one another well, and, and they're, they're saying, well, what happened then? And what did he say while you were on the road? Oh, you should just, we'll try, to, we'll try to tell you. Our hearts were just burning. He opened the Old Testament for us. And so they're, they're having these interactions. Now, the, the text that we pick up now is, is, is just in that moment. That's what's happening, and here we go into these verses. Ethan, I think my mic's just a smidge hot if you want to back it down. Okay, so I call this surprise party. Surprise party. It's not the surprise they were throwing for Jesus. It's the opposite. The surprise he threw for the disciples in this room. Listen to how this unfolds. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. They were very startled. They were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. So just imagine this. They're, they're huddled around, and Cleopas and Mary, they're like, oh, and then this, and then. And all of a sudden, from behind, like the doors are still locked. We, we know that the doors were locked. There was knocking and entering and, and things. Jesus is not knocking at the door. He's in the room, and he says, peace be to you. And all of a sudden, everybody would have just frozen. Wait a second. Hold on. Could it be? They turn, and he's standing right there in the room with them. That scared him to death. They thought maybe we're seeing a spirit, maybe a ghost. Maybe this is just a, we're just so sad and we're so overwhelmed. But, but, but Simon saw Christ, and, and Mary saw Christ, and here's Cleopas and Mary over here. They, they saw Christ. This moment would have been incredible to experience. Jesus is in the house. He's back. He's alive. Now, something about that interaction left them kind of paralyzed. They were, they were frozen. Like, wait, well, what do we do? What do we make of this? Um, and, and, and Jesus saw their hesitation and gave them a, a loving and kind of gentle rebuke for it. Listen to Jesus' words. He said, 
why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? And then he holds his hands out. He says, see my hands and feet, that it is I myself. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see as I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, why is he doing this? Why is he showing these people his hands and feet? For those who would suggest that Jesus wasn't actually nailed to the cross, but actually instead tied to the cross, this passage just proves that. Jesus was nailed to the cross, and we know it because he holds his hands out to show them the, the, the marks where the nails went through his hands and his feet. Painful, horrible experience. It also reveals to us that Jesus carries those scars, as we've seen already. He carries those scars, and not in any shameful kind of way, in a very loving way. He holds his hands out and says, guys, look, I did this. The work is done. I am alive. Hmm. It's an interesting moment. They're processing this all. They see his hands. They see his feet. He says, touch me and see. Come here. Come. Don't, don't just stay off over in the corner. Guys, come here. Come in. Touch me. See this. This is flesh and bones. This, it's actually me. I'm not a ghost. I was just struck as I sat in these verses this week, the risen and exalted, majestic King of kings and Lord of lords is not standoffish with those He has redeemed. You know, sometimes you get around someone who's kind of high and mighty or really rich or kind of elite, and there's this, eh, just keep your distance. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, the personal bubble gets really big you know, there's some cultures that if you're in the presence of royalty, you can't even lock eyes with them. You have to stay staring at the ground. Not so with Jesus. He's like, guys, come on in. Bring it in. Bring it in. Come in close. And you've got to know there were some hugs going on here too. As they began to see, it's not a spirit. He's actually here. This is him. It's a real body. It's really Jesus. Oh, what a moment. Flesh and bones. This has tremendous implication for us, friends. The New Testament speaks of the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits of the dead. The, the resurrection, he's the first to be raised from the dead, glorified, equipped with a body of flesh and bones, but also one that is imperishable. It is ready for eternity, able to operate in more than just the dimension that we know. So he has flesh and bones. Now, for the, the, uh, the thinkers that would say of the flesh, oh, the flesh is bad and the spirit is good, this is another text that speaks to how, in fact, the flesh, the body itself, is not corrupt and, and evil and just worthless. Jesus' body matters. He has a resurrected body. It's glorified. He has flesh and bones. A part of that is his soul and his body. We, we are body and soul. That's who we are. And so, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so we will be as well. So we will be. I did a funeral one time, and the, 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 the way that the person who had died, they, they kind of looked down upon his body. They treated it poorly, and they were like, it's so good, he's free from that 
corpse. What a mess that was. Good, he's done with that. And, and I wanted to say, hold on now. He's not done with that. Oh, just temporarily, right? His soul is with the Lord, but that body matters because it will be raised. It will be raised. So the body that God has wonderfully given you is a body that will be with you forever, but glorified. So as believers, we can say this. In Christ, our bodies, flesh and bones, have a glorious future. That's a significant piece. That's why we are careful when we think about how we bury and uh, we show respect and honor in that. We're not just a, a soul that's temporarily trapped with flesh and bones. We are body and soul. So, you have these verses from Paul that just build this out. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus, who will, listen to this, transform our lowly or sinful, this, this weak and perishing body. He will transform it to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So friends, it's likely that the scars that Jesus carries will be an eternal reminder of the gospel work that he accomplished for us. I think it's also likely to think that the scars that we carry, especially those that would be inhibiting or challenging for us, will be healed. And we will carry in us the, a, a body remade, equipped for eternity. What's that going to be like? Well, the very end of our next sermon series, I've always wanted to hear a sermon on. The final sermon is heaven and new heavens and new earth. I'm going to build that out and muse a bit upon what we can glean from the Scriptures about what that future experience is going to be like. So come back and we'll dig on that more in our next series. But it's going to be wonderful. Can we go through doors and appear and disappear? I don't know. Jesus did. He's the first fruits. Maybe we can swim up a waterfall like C.S. Lewis dreamed. That'd be fun. Who knows? I've always wanted to fly, honestly. While they still disbelieve for joy. Look at this phrase. This is such an awesome phrase. While they still disbelieved for joy. Well, how do we say that? We see something, we're like, oh, that's unbelievable. I can't even believe that. You see what we're saying? We're joyously ascribing reality to something that is so far beyond what we expected. We call it unbelievable. That's their moment here. This is what they're This is too much. We couldn't even believe this is happening. And they were marveling. Jesus, just to add just a little more evidence here, he says this. You guys got anything to eat? Anybody got anything to eat? And you've got to kind of picture the moment. They're all huddled around, and, and Jesus is there, and they're, they're okay, well, he's really here. No one has yet thought of, of hospitality here. No one has thought, well, should we bring him some water? Should we bring him some food? That's all just like not at the forefront. But then Jesus is like, okay, when was the last time you saw a spirit eat some fish? Let's give this a try. Maybe this will help settle things. It, you know, it's still unbelievable. Let's make it more believable. You guys have any fish? And at this moment, everyone's like, oh, oh, man, we should do that for sure here. And so there's probably a scramble to try to find some food. They're looking in their pockets, and someone pulls out some broiled fish, 
a piece of broiled fish. And they hand it to Jesus. And then this, this moment would have been so incredible. Maybe the most significant fish-eating moment in history. Okay? Jesus takes the broiled fish. And just, it's got to be just so quiet. You just imagine this. Everyone's like... <gasps> and he eats the fish. Just like he always did. Just like before. He's with us. He's not gone. He's alive. He's teaching us. He's eating with us. We're around him. We're with him. We're able to hug him. He is alive. What a moment that would have been. You're hoping you season that fish well. The risen Savior just ate your fish. What an amazing thing. Now, this was not the only thing that Jesus did. In fact, this was one of many, many times where Jesus interacted and engaged and appeared. It says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about God's kingdom. So there were multiple times and occasions where Jesus would show up, eat with them, teach them, walk with them, spend time with them. There were times where he would show up in, in a large crowd setting. In fact, Paul tells us there was a moment where Jesus appeared to more than 500 people all at the same time in that, in that place. They all saw him all at once. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us this is not just some really sad people who have lost their would-be Messiah. And they're just like, oh, we're just so sad. Maybe we're seeing things. We're just wishful thinking. No, this Jesus is alive. And there are eyewitnesses of his resurrection everywhere. Everywhere. In fact, this interaction, Thomas wasn't even there for. He, he, he missed this. And so a later subsequent interaction, he shows up again with the disciples. And he says, Thomas, come here. Come here. You see my hands? You see my side? It's me. It's me. And then he blesses those who believe even though they didn't see him. What a gift God has given in this first-hand testimony. So much of Scripture echoes from the people who were there, who saw his hands with their own eyes, eyewitness testimony. That's the people that Luke draws from as he writes his account. Now, Christ-centered scriptures, Christ-centered scriptures, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, we've previously seen in Luke 24 how Jesus mentioned that he taught... Um, Cleopas and, and Mary from the law and the prophets. Jesus adds now to that a third category just to basically say the whole thing, it's all about me. It's all about me. From the law, through the Psalms and the prophets, the way that we would have our Bible assembled, everything points to me, he says. Friends, you have a Christ-centered Bible it's a Christ-centered Bible. It's not just that the, the Gospels are, are toward the middle as you open it. It is that every page of your Bible points to Jesus in one way or another. 
It's the fullness of the gospel. So we need to be thinking of this as we think about evangelism. Sometimes our evangelism can live a little too heavy only in the New Testament. So much we learn about God, about holiness, about sin and offensiveness and the need for atonement and forgiveness. A lot of that is established in the Old Testament. You will never appreciate the New Testament without knowing the Old Testament. And vice versa. You'll never actually know what the Old Testament is pointing to and fulfilled in without the New. And so we love the whole book. And we seek to preach from the whole book. And we want to to make disciples who delight in and study and read and learn from the whole book. We need it all. In fact... I find it amazing, again, when Jesus shared the gospel, he went to the Old Testament. That's significant for us. Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, this sermon slot is too short to be able to do what I wanted to do, so I put it in a handout, and I've got it available for you as you go. Very fine print. Sorry about that if you've got glasses. Um, I went through the Bible and made a list of all the places that you see Jesus show up, glimpses of his glory, anticipated in the Old Testament, celebrated in the New. And this is not comprehensive, by the way. This is just many, I would say, of the places you can see him in the Old and the New. And that's your handout, your, your, your Sunday afternoon reading uh, for the day. Uh, have fun and just marvel at the unity and Christ-centered nature of this book. It is spectacular. I think it's four pages for you to take on your way out. Um, Leon Morris said it this way, there is no part of Scripture that does not bear witness to Jesus. In one way or another, it's pointing to Him. It's pointing to Him. So I titled this, uh, Jesus is the Greater. Jesus is the Greater. So you think of Passover, Jesus is like, yeah, that's about me. Think of the flood, right? That's ultimately about me. And on down the line. How is it? Look at, look at these. It'll, it'll change the way you read your Bible. When you're in the Old Testament, always look for a view to Christ. How does this show us Jesus? And you'll see some of those things in the, in the handout. So you can take that when you go. Now, the Great Commission, verses 45 to 49. This is Luke's Great Commission passage. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Proclaimed. Where? In his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So he's like, you guys, your eyewitness testimonies here. You have seen me. You have heard me speak, and you know your Bible. Therefore, it's on. It's time to do this. I've prepared you. I'm sending you now. The heart of this, this push, this mission, this commission, is this word. Oh, boy. i got to try to remember how to say this. Kiruso? Is that close? Even close? Am I in there? Okay, good. I get the nod. Okay. It means to publicly proclaim, to preach, to herald, to announce truth, urging acceptance and compliance. Wow. Proclaim, 
Proclaim. Proclaim what? What are we to proclaim? What are we to announce to the ends of the earth, right? To every nation. Borders don't matter to Christians. At the end of the day, we go where we need to go, and that's everywhere. To every single person we can find in every nation, tribe, and tongue, and we tell them the good news. What is the good news? Listen. Repentance and forgiveness of sins are available in Christ. We are to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ or in, in, in the exclusive path of Christ, what He has offered. It's only in His name that these are available. Now, it's interesting to consider because sometimes proclamation in our day, it doesn't do that, does it? There's a different kind of proclamation, different kind of announcement. Yeah, I'm here this morning, everybody, to announce how awesome you are. You are so amazing. God, just, he just can't get over you. He wakes up every morning, and he sees you, and he just feels so bubbly. You're awesome. That, does that sound sort of familiar? That's not what he said to do. Go and affirm everybody. You're all just awesome. You're okay. Or... Here's another one you'll find on TV. Hey, do you want to be rich? You want a jet? You want a golden toilet? You need Jesus. Jesus is like the dream weaver. He gets you anything you want. You just rub that lamp, and he gets you what you want. Anything you want, you name it, you claim it, Jesus has to give it to you. He is is the way to go. He is the ticket to success, happiness, Smiling. That's not what Jesus said. In our day, the proclamation is to be the same proclamation that Jesus commissioned us to proclaim in his day. It is a proclamation of repentance for sin. Repentance. So, this is how it sounds. Good morning, everybody. I've got some great news. The great news is that God has made a way when there was no way. And, and, and the reason it's good news is because the reality of our situation is we're all sinners. We're rebels. The good news will never make sense without the bad news in view. The holiness of God has, has been so revealed that our rebel hearts are exposed. We are not okay. We are not good to go. We are bound for hell. We deserve his wrath. We are under his judgment, and it will fall upon us forever unless we repent of our sins, turn from our sins. He has made provision such that his son took upon all of the sins that we have committed and paid for them in full so that we don't have to. That's good news to sinners. It's not good news to righteous people self-righteous people, people who don't see any reason to repent. Our proclamation is a call to reality. we got to deal with the situation at hand as the Bible unfolds, as the Lord tells us it is. Repentance is where gospel comes alive. It is in that repentance that we are acknowledging our sinfulness, His holiness, and the holiness of Christ who never sinned, His atoning work to pay for our sins, and the ability to forgive us from our sins. What is the thing that 
people need most? Is it to be rich and smiley and successful in this life and go to hell? What is the thing that that people all around the world need most? Is it to be told they're awesome and they're A-OK? To be affirmed and built up and esteemed? You've got to grow yourself. No, the thing that people need most is to be confronted with the reality of their sins. And love would do no less. We are all here sinners. And it's not mean or, 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 or upsetting to, to tell people, hey, listen, we're all in the same boat. Apart from Christ, we perish in our sins. We have a proclamation of repentance and forgiveness. This is the best news that sinners could ever hear. Amen. And so we preach all of these things in the name of Christ. He is the exclusive Savior. There is no other way. There's no other way. There is no other religion, therefore, that will lead to forgiveness and life. It's only Jesus. And so, Christians, we must be unapologetically evangelical. We live in a day where this PC tolerance thing has, has reached this, this, this opposition to evangelism. Have you felt this? That if you come into a context to, to bring your truth in, in any way that would suggest that someone else's truth is, is wrong, then you have committed the ultimate offense. Friends, that's not a concern for us. We are called to bring the truth that is timeless to every single person on the planet, regardless of their culture, their tradition, their background. So if we go into Africa and there's a tribe and they worship this way in a pagan, godless way, and we bring in the truth of the gospel and we call them to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus and worship him in truth, And in spirit, we have loved them. We have not committed offense to their culture. We have seen Christ inserted into the very core of their souls and hearts to transform it into something more than sinful and pagan. Now, here's what would be offensive. To require them to dress exactly like we do and look like us and sound like us when they worship. That's wrong. We don't have to do that. We can let them express their praise as God has so given them the opportunity to do so. But at the heart, it has to be Jesus or there is no salvation. We are unapologetically evangelical. That means that for those who believe that there is no God, we still speak up. That means for for those who believe that there is all kinds of gods and many ways to salvation, we speak up and we say, no, there's actually only one. It's not arrogant to be evangelical. It's loving. It's loving. We must be bold in a culture that pushes back so quick. Oh, pipe down. That's fine for you. That's your truth. You leave the other people alone. Jesus didn't say, preach to all nations as long as they're interested in hearing it. He said, just preach, go, proclaim, make proclamation. And that's our goal. Not everybody will receive it. We trust the Lord. That's His work, not ours. We are to love. We are to speak. We are to go. Hmm. Jesus came. Here's the Matthew 28 commission. 
He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by the Father, right? Bestowed upon the Son. You go, therefore, go in my authority, go in my name, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. And so we know it's more than just about making converts. Our, our desire is to see people saved. But that's just the beginning of the work. From that point on, our goal is, Lord, help us to raise them up in obedience, to see holiness developed in them, a hunger for your word, a, a, a shining in their own place that God has put them for Christ to advance the gospel, to treasure, to worship, to obey. So you could say it this way, every expression of ministry in this church flows in one of these two streams. We either seek to evangelize or disciple. There's no other form of ministry. Can you think of anything else a church would do that falls in any category outside of those two? That's what we do. I remember sitting in church staff meetings down in California, and there was a lot of discussion about what we should be and who we should how we should do it, and on and on and on. I wanted to jump out the window half the time. We were just chasing our tail. And I, I, just, I just was like, guys, this is way too complicated. Let's just simplify it. Two things, evangelism, discipleship. Tell people about Jesus, call them to repent and believe, and then teach them to follow Jesus with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach them to obey everything he's commanded us. Church is actually quite simple. Following Jesus is not complicated. We follow Him, we speak of Him, we proclaim Him, we declare Him, we're witnesses of Him, and we grow in holiness to be like Him day by day. All of grace. All of grace. The good news is there is a potent power that is behind our proclamation. Even as I speak these words, I'm aware of this. In fact, the three things I remind myself, they're marked on my door on the inside. Worship by the Spirit, glory in Christ, put no confidence in the flesh. That's the three things I remind myself every time I come out that door. Worship by the Spirit. Well, who is He? He is the power behind the proclamation. He is the one who takes the word that's proclaimed and lands it in the people. He's the one who gives life to dead souls. He's the one who convicts of sin and stirs to holiness. I can't do that. Oh, but he's here. He's here in this place right now at work. Listen to these verses. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending the promise. I should have put a capital on that P. The promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And wow, what a moment that was. In the book of Acts, Luke continues to chronicle the history. He finishes his gospel here in just a few verses, and then he goes on to mark the beginning of the church. And in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls and he clothes the disciples with power from on high, and they preach and they proclaim. It is spectacular. Peter, the, the timid, fearful betrayer, right, denier of Christ, he now becomes a bold proclaimer of truth to speak a sermon to the very people that crucified Jesus without fear. 
That's the power that we find in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, Luke writes this. Jesus says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what begins in Jerusalem in concentric circles like a, like a pebble that's dropped into the water, it goes out and out and out, and it just ripples to the ends of the earth. Nation, tribes, and tongues, they all need to hear about this Jesus, the Savior. Just a word about the Holy Spirit before we move on. Sometimes there are people that want to make it all about the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is truly God. He is glorious. He is worthy of our worship. And there are times when I pray to the Spirit Himself, to the Son and to the Father. But I would say this, the Spirit loves not to draw attention to Himself, but to Christ. That is his joy, his delight. And it's rare to find in in the Bible any verses where the Spirit is saying, praise me. His, His ministry is to point to Christ. And so the gifts of the Spirit are to do that and not the other. Sometimes there's a lot of things made of signs and wonders and, you know, then weird things like laughing and fire tunnels and all this stuff and it's all about the Holy Spirit and that's not true of the Spirit. The Spirit draws attention to Christ and the proclamation of the Gospel is where He comes in power to do wonders and miracles all the time. Now, the glorious ascension. We close with these verses, the Gospel of Luke. Verse 50 Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, Luke just says, he he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. I would love more detail there. Like, how did it happen? Was he walking up some invisible stairs, or did he, you know, Superman just take off, or I don't know. Somehow he he just lifts up into heaven. It says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Blessing God. What an amazing experience. This would have taken place on the Mount of Olives, just just shy of Bethany here. And uh, so we're just across the Kidron Valley from the temple where it was. The Great Commission blessing and uh, encouragement there, that took place up north, probably on Mount Arbel, which is just uh, by the Sea of Galilee. So there's multiple occasions where Jesus is commissioning and really teaching them, proclaim, go, uh, but this is the moment where he actually ascends into heaven. That didn't take, up, take place up north. That took place in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, and that's significant because that's the exact place he's going to return when he comes again. So it would have been an unforgettable moment. You know, I don't, I don't know if anyone ever has had the chance to watch a NASA launch or like a, a, a rocket launch that goes up into space. You all gather there in the crowds. I've never done it, but I've always wanted to. You know, feel the rumble. You see the smoke go out, and then there it goes. And you see just the, the light of the engines and, and the fire and the trail of the smoke, and everybody's just standing there looking up. And then you're like, okay, well... 
I can, I can see it. Oh, I can't see it. Can you see it? I can't see it. Eventually, you lose sight. You can't see it anymore. But you're, you're just still in a crowd, and you're all just like, wow, that happened. It's gone. Imagine having that experience with Jesus, your rabbi, your teacher, your Messiah, the one who died to save you from your sins. You're, you're talking to him. He commissions, and then he just floats up out of sight. You'd be stuck staring up in the sky and being like, well, okay. You know, birds chirping. You're like, well, what? What do we do now? He's gone. It's an interesting moment that, uh, uh, that we see. It says they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Now, this is curious. I, I just learned this. This is the only place in the Gospel of Luke where Luke reserves that word of, of what the disciples did for Jesus. They, they worshipped. This is the only place where he says they, they worshipped him. He saves it for this moment. I thought that was significant. They don't just see this Jesus as a wonderful teacher. They worship him as God. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is ruling and right. He's ascending to the right hand of the Father to take his place to rule and reign. And he's still there to this day, seated in power, exalted in glory. And someday he's coming again. Listen to how the angels in Acts, Luke records this. While they were gazing into the heaven, they're all just standing there staring. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Here's these guys again, these angels. They show up. And they always kind of begin with a bit of a rebuke, right? You know, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, I'm sure they're nice, but they're sort of scary, right? It's kind of intimidating. All of a sudden, they say, hey, men of Galilee. You know, they're all like, what? Whoa! Angels! Why do you stand looking up into heaven? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, Jesus just flew away. I don't, that's, that's why we're looking up. And then they say, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. He's going to come again. He's going to descend, and his feet will will set upon that mountain and it will be split into two, we read in the book of Revelation. An amazing thing. Hmm. Basically, we find at the very end of Luke that the end is only the beginning. This is the end of the gospel, the, the finishing of the work of Christ. His work is done, but the work has only just begun. The book of Acts chronicles the, the forming of the early church. And by the way, I've preached through all those verses. All those sermons are online. You can just pick up the story right online and carry through those, those, uh, those chapters in Luke. They are spectacular to see how the Holy Spirit radically changed these men and then caused them to be church planters. And then in Acts 9, you see Paul saved. The one who was killing Christians becomes a church planter. What an amazing gospel we have. The end is only the beginning. And... Ten days later. So this happens, and uh, so 40 days go by, Jesus is appearing all over the place. Ten days after that, Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes. And it's on. And it's still going. We're still at this work. Christ is building His church, even right here in this place today. He is active in building. The Spirit is here with us. For those who are saved, 
You are filled with the Holy Spirit the moment you are saved. He is in you, dwelling in you, empowering you, opening your eyes to see Scripture, giving you gifts to serve and edify and build up the church, giving you courage to shine and witness, stirring in you conviction for sin and a hunger for holiness. What a ministry the Spirit has in our lives. So, response as we look back, just thinking over all of this gospel that we've studied up close, here's four things. First of all, we have a glorious Savior. We have a glorious Savior in Jesus Christ. He is not dead like all of the other would-be saviors are. He is alive. He is victorious. He is reigning. He is ruling. Think of this. He prays for us this morning. Christ is interceding for us today in power at the Father's right hand. We have a glorious Savior. Number two, we have a life-transforming gospel. And I'm not just talking about something that you can look at. I'm talking about something you would know. Because you can say, He changed me. Like, I am not who I was. He radically turned me inside out. He, He took the deepest thing about me, which on my own was sin. And He changed me to be holy through the power of Christ. And now he's making me day by day, increasingly, progressively, to be who I am in Christ. Holy, obedient. Number three, we have a stunning commission. This commission we've been given is completely over our heads. There is no hope in the world that we could ever do this. But he didn't leave us alone. We have a commission to go both to Whatcom County right? That's local outreach. That's our, we're all in on that. If you're a Christian, you're an evangelist. You're a witness. You're a light. We're called to shine, speak, testify, call to repentance and forgiveness of faith in the name of Jesus. We also have missionaries that we've sent to the ends of the earth. What a joy. A stunning commission, but we are not alone. This is such a gift. We have been spectacularly empowered. If this was up up to us, throw in the towel, man. We're dead meat. But we have the helper. In fact, Jesus was so excited for his departure because he said, listen, when I go, I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit. He will come. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will empower you. The same Spirit that filled those men in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost is in this place today working. What an amazing thing. I want to close this series in Luke with a, oddly, a a verse from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen to what Jesus said at the very end of his commission. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not alone. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as the Spirit of Christ. This Trinitarian glory, distinct personhood, yet one God. In one way or another, we have the presence of Christ through His Spirit who dwells in us. He is with us today. And with you always, come what may. The Christian life 
is not meandering through fields of flowers and just enjoying gentle breezes all the time. The Christian life is, without a doubt, the most challenging, difficult way of life you could ever sign up for. It is equally the most satisfying, joy-filled life a person would ever know. We're not alone. We're not alone. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we delight in you today. We thank you for your finished work. Thank you for your obedience to the Father, for your faithful ministry to us through your good finished work of the gospel. We delight to know you. Thank you, Father, for sending your Spirit in proclamation of the gospel to open our eyes to see Jesus as Savior, to repent of our sins, to run to you and find forgiveness of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, what a message we have. We've been changed. We've been radically changed, and yet this message so often we're, we're hesitant to, to speak. And Lord, make us bold, I pray. Even this week, give us opportunities to, to shine, to speak up, to testify, to be a witness of this life-transforming gospel and this incredible, glorious Savior that we know of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and the ministry that he has so often behind the scenes in our lives, opening our eyes to see your glory, to delight in your Son, to understand your word, to be convicted of our sins, to delight increasingly in holiness, to give us the power as we proclaim, to do what we cannot do. Lord, even as I pray these words, I think If there are any here today who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, oh, Father, please work through your Spirit even now and land in them uh, eyes to see your Son Jesus as not just a Savior, but their personal Savior, the one who can rescue them from their sins and stir in them a heart to repent of their sins and run to Jesus for forgiveness and life. We love how you work, Lord. We delight to give praise to you, and we pray that you would use us as we are your witnesses both in Whatcom County, Washington State, the United States, and to the ends of the earth. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.